This is Scott Becker with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. Thrilled today to be joined by a magnificent leader, Erica Joy Daniels. Erica Joy is a leader at Advocate Aurora Healthcare, AAH. She's going to talk to us today about health equity, about diversity, equity, and inclusion, how do systems assess progress, what can organizations do to improve, and a little bit more. Erica Joy, before we get started, can you take a moment to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about Advocate Aurora? Absolutely. And thanks so much for the invitation, Scott. It's, a, it's an honor to join in, you know, some of the leading conversations in this space and uh, those drivers like yourself for making this work. So I'm Erica Joy Daniel. I am the Senior Vice President and Chief Diversity, Equity and Inclusion Officer at Advocate of Royal Healthcare. Um, a, a proud place to be as I am excited and really um, encouraged around the work that we're driving in healthcare period. I mean, our our tagline is that we help people live well, and particularly tied to my role, the work that we're doing and the intentionality to make sure that all get a chance to live well across a number of dimensions is what's flattering to me. You know, um, we we esteem, our, our intention is to be a safe clinical enterprise and looking at the outcomes, the experience, and the safety for all of our patients is premier. And we've got a ton of folks working and committed to making that happen for the patients that we're serving. And, and what are you seeing in health equity and diversity, equity, and inclusion? What are you seeing out there? Is the country, is the system, is the area making progress? What are some of your observations? Yeah, I mean, we, we, many people are fully aware, you know, the heightened attention and awareness and publicity around racial tension and, and opportunities and disparities. But what's also happening at the same time is the increase of that awareness turning into action. And um, where there may be times where it feels like that window may be closing and um, people are getting numb to the concept of paying attention to diversity, equity, inclusion, there are enough drivers and leaders who are championing, uh, making sure that that banner is really held up well. Uh, in our industry, it's to me, health equity is the work of diversity and inclusion for our industry. That, that's the goal that we aspire to. That, that's when we look at, in simplest terms, no gaps. No gaps in experience, no gaps in health outcomes, no gaps in safety. Um, closing those gaps, and I often say it reminds me of when I was traveling overseas and you're on the tube in the UK, and the signs on the subway say, mind the gap, right? If we mind the gap and pay attention to it, um, because there could be um, missteps when there are gaps, there could be harm when there are gaps. And um, I, I think that there are those who are rallying around that sense of urgency now to make things different. And how do you measure progress in systems? I mean, you've got a big role at Advocate, really at Advocate Aurora, really around this issue. How do you sort of judge progress? How do you look at it? What are some of your thoughts? Yeah. Well, measures always help. I mean, but think about it. We're in healthcare. Healthcare is a matter of science and numbers and data mean a lot to us. So we do the same thing in, in the space of diversity, equity, and inclusion. Um, you've got to have very sound directional targets around what's important. So if you think about uh, closing disparities and closing gaps, it's looking at the numbers and the results. Uh, for example, we look at our patient experience scores. We look at our um, our survey response data. 
we look at actual health outcomes and are different groups experiencing um, their wellness in a different way. Then you've got the tougher ones, which are more the qualitative measures like behavioral change or mind shifts and thinking and approaches. Um, but if you do a blend of those, you end up advancing not just the outcomes, but the culture of the organization that's looking for those changes to happen. So we get very um, detailed and we have scorecards and dashboards. We integrated, integrated them into our regular reporting cards. We've also built in our incentive plan. So there are very clear measures that we look at. And with that, it's not just the visibility, but the accountability, Scott. Like we are holding ourselves accountable for the growth and the improvement that we want. The other benefit about that is when that has that shared broad system-wide visibility that these scorecards offer, it also has shared broad ownership. So it's not a single department driving and moving the needle in diversity, equity, inclusion, hospital leaders, clinic leaders, um, operational folks, uh, folks on the front line. Everyone has a contribution and they can see how their gas that they're pouring into the fire actually is moving the needle. And, and what do you advise systems that are trying to get better, either in serving their communities from a health equity perspective or improving their leadership ranks from a DEI perspective? What, do you, what advice do you give to systems that are trying to make progress in either of these two big efforts? Yeah, I would say it really starts with self-awareness and understanding. So you've got to know a few things. You've got to know your data. You've got to know your areas of opportunity. Otherwise, you could run in circles to figure out where do we even start first, but your data will always direct you on where to start. And then your data will always direct you on how far you've come with the progress. So I would say getting comfortable and being willing to dig into data differently than we have before. Um, you know, sometimes people ask me, what DNI measures do you want? I said, what do we already measure? Just stratify. Them. Let's look at different groups. It could be race and ethnicity. It could be gender. It could be sexual orientation. It could be age. It could be geography. Let's just challenge ourselves to go from macro level um, views and analysis to micro level, because if you get at the heart of that, you actually end up lifting and improving outcomes for more, for more than the group that you're targeting. The other piece is then the awareness, understanding. We know we always heard the term of unconscious bias, but that's a real thing. And unconscious bias isn't wrong. What's wrong is when we don't attend to it, especially when that bias is disruptive or um, disappointing or damaging to others. And so seeking to understand first, this is an age old, you know, added that I learned growing up, but it really pays off well to seek to understand others first and recognizing that we can learn from other people. Um, and by our learning of others, how much better it does is to serve others. Healthcare is about serving people at the end of the day. We are here to help others live a better whole well life. And we can best do that if we understand them better if we recognize that there are different opportunities for us to grow in and challenge ourselves to be more innovative of what we can tackle and do differently. And, and another question, Erica, mm -hmm. Joy, you've been in this area for a long time and thinking about these issues for a long time. What still surprises you? Where, where do you get surprised? Yeah, I, I get surprised probably initially, and then remind myself that we still have a journey. Um, any, anyone I run into that still grapples with um, understanding or being open to digest the data. 
because it, and it's and it's our nature, right? We we all have the nature to defend or to try to um, uh, bring you know a different rationale around uh, why we see what we see, particularly if it's an experience that we never have had or understood. And um, I think there are times, and, and I say that in the broadest sense, Scott, not just where I work, but where I live, where I play, where I serve. Um, because I, I do find myself in circles where I'm tapped into in the world of diversity, equity, inclusion, that's broader than just my core job. And people still are uncomfortable. Race is a hard conversation to have for many. And just talking across difference is hard for many. Um, so while it surprises me, it still um, at the same time triggers my thinking to make sure how do we set up those relationships, forums, opportunities, avenues for people to be invited into the uncomfortable conversations and given permission to stumble in them uh, until they get to a place where they're most comfortable. And, and, and you, the point you make, it's such a fascinating world, isn't it? Because inside of work's one thing, outside of work is another thing, and there's still so much segregation inside and outside of work. Right? Yeah. Maybe not segregation, might not be the word, but there's so much separation. You know, there really is, and it's, uh, and it's a debacle. Yeah. And, and we, we tend to, it's our human nature. We're, we're, any of us are most comfortable with those who are just like us. But um, people who want to grow themselves learn that they can learn from others. You know, one of my mentors often says, you know, a person wrapped up in themselves makes a really small package, right? And, you know, I've, I've challenged myself as I was growing up that I, I wanted to be a bigger package. I wanted to make sure that I am developed and infused by my experiences as broad as they can be. My parents were very intentional about that early on and challenged me in my adulthood to make sure that I kept that up. Um, it's coming out of our comfort zone. And I think that's the sign of courageous leaders, courageous leaders who are willing to acknowledge that there's more for them to learn, um, that they should, you know, we should, all should have an insatiable desire for learning. Our grandmother, Scott, she lived to the age of 107, you know, and at 100, one of her Christmas gifts was a college course up at the community college that she wanted to because she always wanted to learn. And so I think our learning desire and our appetite for wanting to know more should not just be about facts, but it should be about relationships and people. And, it, and that helps us grow. What is the secret? You know, I used to watch those commercials where they were in, you know, Russian Georgia, you know, that Georgia where they, where they ate the yogurt every day. And Dannon would say, or one of the companies would say, this was the secret to growing to 107. What uh -huh. is the secret to growing to what, how does that happen? How does somebody live to 107? Oh my gosh. Her, she had a zest and a fire, um, not only in life, but for life. Especially when I think about the things she, I mean, she went through the Great Depression. <laughs> she, you're talking about learning about um, racism. The stories that my grandmother would tell, my son loves history, and he would sit this with her for hours and listen and learn. And he would go to the museum, Scott, and then come back and talk to her. And she's like, oh, yeah, I live that. So she, she went through a lot of eras in life. But there was a determination that I saw in her and a fight. And I think even as she aged, I saw her keep that up. But what I think happened was because she was a continual learner. She learned about herself. She learned about others. She learned about our body. She learned about health. She learned about um, new information. And staying curious um, 
and wanting to grow with never stopping, I, I, I think you, you don't want to give up. Um, so yeah, that, and I think, um, um, keeping a, a travel and a love for life and keeping the right kind of attitude. She was a very grounded woman. Did she see, what was her perspective of the course of a life, 107 years, so many changes in the country, and yet so much progress still to be had. Mm-hmm. What was her perspective on changes in, in racism and inclusion and so forth? What were her thoughts on it? You, you said she told horrible stories about racism that she saw. Did she ever have a sense that it was getting better in our nation or not necessarily? Any perspective that she shared? Yeah, she did. And she, she would be hopeful, but practical. She always told us to keep a balance. And she stayed so curious in the work that I did. Um, I, even as you said, this guy reminds me of the day that she went to vote. Um, she got dressed up and, you know, fancy outfit and clothes and makeup. But she told me, she said, I had to fight for this right, you know, and it means something. And I never forget her telling me, when you fight, know that you fight for meaning and value. Um, and don't give up, but be determined. And, and I've always thought for, you know, she, the only things that mean something are worth fighting for. Some things you're going to experience and you have to deal with it, but what's, what's, what brings meaning for you and for others? Um, and, and she did. She saw the change. I mean, her seeing the first African-American president, she sat, she sat on the sofa and wept, you know, um, and said, you know, I thought I would never have seen this day. Uh, she said, so keep fighting till you see days that you thought you never would have seen. And I, I, those, those gems and those like, you know, drops of nuggets that, you know, at her age, she's just talking, but I'm like soaking them all in to remind myself to, um, you keep running the race until, until you figured out, you know, that you've done the best that you can. So she was hopeful. Um, she would get tired and frustrated, but she was hopeful. Fantastic. Erica Joy, it is always a pleasure to visit with you, it, particularly enlightening to hear the story of your grandma who lived 107 and saw so many changes in our country. And, and let's hope we keep on making better and better changes. What a pleasure to visit with you. Thank you so much for joining us this afternoon. Thanks so much, Scott.